The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Are You Prepared for the New Wave of ADCs in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer? Innovative Approaches and Practical Considerations in Targeting HER2, HER3, TROP2, and Other Alterations in Advanced Lung Cancer. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash FVE 860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Welcome to the symposium. The title of the symposium is Are You Prepared for the New Wave of Antibodies Drug Conjugates in Nosmos and Lung Cancer? And we know that they are coming, so it's better to be prepared. Join with me, there is uh, uh, two colleagues and friends, uh, Dr. Borghei from uh, Fox Chase Cancer Center and Dr. Stephen Liu from Georgetown University with me. So the agenda of today will be the recognition of the gaps and opportunity for improvement with novel antibody drug conjugates in lung cancer. And we will review the latest evidence of antibody drug conjugates targeting HER2, where we have the majority of the results, HER2, TROP2, CECAM5, and CMET. And we will go through some cases uh, on how we can integrate the uh, antibody drug conjugates in our clinical practice in nosmos and lung cancer. Um, so, uh, starting from the current gaps and opportunity for improvement uh, um, in uh, nosmol cell lung cancer, we uh, have to start uh, from the complexity that we have now in 2022. We are very aware that we have a multiple targets, uh, and uh, after the first uh, generation of tyrosine kinase inhibitors, or the second and the third for some of these targets, unfortunately, the resistance uh, happens and uh, we have only the chemotherapy. So potentially these drugs can fit very well in this space. And in particular, for among all these targets, there is one which is really important, is a rare target, which is the HER2 mutations. And it's important also to remember that they are HER2 mutations and it is n- we are not talking about the amplification like in breast cancer because what I believe it matters most in lung cancer are the HER2 uh, mutations. But the same unmet need is also for the, all the other targets. Uh, as you can understand from my terrible English, I'm Italian and... Uh, When I saw these results uh, last year in ASCO 2022, I was sure that uh, the United States could do much better than what we did uh, in, uh, in Europe. And uh, there is still a huge gap because in less than 50% of the patients uh, are properly tested with all the biomarkers. This was uh, presented by the Mylang Consortium in ASCO earlier uh, last year, and it was also confirmed by the flat iron uh, again uh, last year. And we know also that there are huge disparities uh, in testing uh, among uh, the United States. So I just want to come back to, the, uh, to the, the point that is really important in 2022 to properly test the lung cancer patients because we can treat them properly. And uh, on the other side, the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them, they do not respond very well to the immunotherapy. 
So it's correct to uh, test uh, for uh, both uh, of the reasons. So we are here because uh, you heard, I'm sure, a lot about the antibody drug conjugates we saw in the ASCO plenary for the breast cancer that there was a standing ovation for the antibody drug conjugates. Basically, they are uh, clever chemotherapy agents, and uh, as you can see here, for in one part uh, there is uh, a monoclonal antibody that can be a different immunoglobulin targeting a specific target antigen. There is another part which is the linker and there is a third part which is called the payload and it is basically something which is very similar to a chemotherapy, a cytotoxic drug. There are many uh, linkers, there are many payloads, and there are many potential targets, and this is why uh, this field is really exploding uh, in, uh, in the last uh, years. Um, this is just uh, a recent representation of, of what is coming, and uh, I think that uh, we will have to understand how to use all these new drugs for the toxicity and also for the indications. And as you can see, we have multiple targets. There is HER2, HER3, TROP2, CIACAMFINE, CIMET in the nosmore cell lung cancer field. But if you look, there are also some antibody drug conjugates coming also in the small cell lung cancer field. So I think that today we are going to review with our experts the, what we have now uh, of uh, available, uh, the evidence that we have available now uh, in the landscape of the antibody drug conjugates. And uh, so, having said that, uh, I just uh, uh, give the word to Professor Yu, and uh, he can revise, uh, I think, that uh, the results of the HER2 mutations uh, and the antibody drug conjugates in the HER2 mutations. Uh, please. <laughs> Thank you, Marina. Uh, so, you mentioned HER2 is an, an important target, and we're familiar with this target in, in oncology. We learn about it in training but it is primarily known for breast cancer. It's important that we appreciate the granularity with HER2 as a biomarker. In breast cancer, we're more focused on amplification, on overexpression. For lung cancer, our focus is much more on HER2 mutations. And there are many different types of mutations shown in this figure. Most are located in that exon 20 area. And we've seen that now we do have antibody drug conjugates that have shown activity in HER2 mutant non-small cell lung cancer. The first with clear activity was adotrastuzumab emtansine, or TDM1. This agent was studied in multiple different disease states, shown at the bottom left. Bob Lee published the single-arm study looking at HER2 mutant lung cancer. And as you can see from that waterfall plot, there was activity, response rate about 44%. Now, it's modest size with a sample of only 18 patients, but we see from that swimmer's plot in the top right that some of these responses are durable. Median PFS, though, about five months. This drug was never FDA approved for HER2 mutant lung cancer, but it was compendia listed. It's a drug I've used fairly often years ago, well tolerated, but the, the progression-free survival of about five months leaves a little something to be desired. We now do have an approved antibody drug conjugate in HER2 mutant lung cancer, and that's trastuzumab derex-tecan, or TDXD. As mentioned by Marina, the structure of these ADCs is pretty consistent. We have the antibody targeting HER2. We have that proprietary linker. And here we have the payload, which is an exotecan derivative. 
pretty high drug to antibody ratio of 8 to 1, and this was primarily studied in the Destiny Lung 1 study. As this schema outlines, it's looking at HER2 mutant or HER2 overexpressed, they're two different arms. Our initial focus is on that HER2 mutant group. Note that the dose explored there was 6.4 milligrams per kilogram. And what we see in these updated efficacy results from a few weeks ago at ESMO, there's a clear response, overall response rate here of 55%. Um, we saw responses in patients with and without brain metastases, in those receiving two or fewer lines of therapy or multiple lines. And the duration here, 10.6 months, twice what we saw with TDM1. In patients that had two or prior lines of therapy, that duration of response was uh, 14 months. This is a good-looking waterfall plot. This is targeted therapy where we give a drug here in a biomarker select group. We expect to see a response, almost all patients deriving some benefit, sort of very satisfying efficacy-wise. From a toxicity standpoint, though, these toxicities, I think, are a little more akin to chemotherapy. We see some degree of myelosuppression, some degree of alopecia. If we look at drug-related grade 3 adverse events, fairly high, 46%. And so these aren't the toxicities we're seeing with selective RET or EGFR inhibitors. Overall, though, they're manageable, but you will note that 26% of patients do stop drug due to treatment of major adverse events. The one of most interest for us in the lung cancer field was the interstitial lung disease. And that's shown on the table on the right. The adjudicated drug-related ILD rate was quite high in this study at 28%, mostly grade one, two, but there were some fatal cases of drug-related ILD. And I'll point out the time to onset, while the median was about three months, pretty wide range. 14 to 461 days, so something we have to constantly be vigilant about. This was sort of our main concern, and we started wondering, is this the right dose of the drug? Our initial thought was these are dose-related toxicities, and while 6.4 is the dose we use in colorectal cancer and gastric cancer, in breast cancer, where potentially it has the most impact, the dose is 5.4. I want to mention the HER2 overexpressed cohort. So looking at immunohistochemistry, which makes sense for an antibody-based therapy, we did see activity in HER2 overexpressed. Interestingly, it was a bit lower than in the HER2 mutant group. Now, in this arm, they did explore two different doses, 5.4 and 6.4, and it's worth noting that the response rate was higher in the 5.4 than the 6.4 cohort. We fast forward now to toxicity here, and we do see, again, drug-related interstitial lung disease in 20% at that 6.4 dose, only 5% in the 5.4 dose. The drug has clear activity. We're still refining the dose, and that was the focus of the Destiny Lung 2 study. This was presented two weeks ago at ESMO in Paris. This was a randomized study for patients with HER2 mutant lung cancer, previously treated, and they're randomized, all received TDXD, but randomized to the 6.4 mg per kg dose or the lower 5.4 mg per kg dose. When we look at efficacy, as we saw in that overexpressed group, the response rate was higher in the lower dose. In that 5.4 mg per kg, we saw ultimately a response rate of 58% um, with more follow-up, compare that to 43% in the higher dose. So the lower dose with more efficacy, but what really seals the deal here is the safety profile was much better in that lower cohort. While there were still grade three adverse events, only in 32%, compare that to 58% in the high dose. And the drug-related interstitial lung disease, only 6% in the 5.4 mg per kg dose compared to 14% in the 6.4. Now, that 14% is lower than the 28%, but again, at that 5.4 mg per kg dose, 
drug-related interstitial lung disease, only 6%, uh, only one case of grade three and no grade four or five cases. And so lower in that 5.4 mg per kg dose, there's clear activity with this antibody drug conjugate and HER2 mutant lung cancer. Interstitial lung disease is important to recall a wide range of onset, so something we have to continue to be vigilant about. But this was approved by the FDA accelerated approval August 11, 2022 at that 5.4 mg per kg dose. So we actually had the approval before we saw the data. Importantly, the dose 5.4. And so tonight, this is the only drug FDA approved as far as antibody drug conjugates in lung cancer, trastuzumab derex-tecan. The words sort of get all jumbled up. We'll hear a lot of fancy words, but trastuzumab derex-tecan is the approved antibody drug conjugate for her to mutant lung cancer. And the dose we should be using is 5.4 mg per kick. We'll move these drugs forward. We strongly believe that targeted therapy should be used early. We have higher chance of response. Patients uh, need to derive early benefit. And so there is a phase three study looking at uh, TDXD at that 5.4 mg per kg dose in the frontline setting, comparing it to chemo IO. So stay tuned here. HER2, a very important marker for antibody drug conjugates. We finally have an approved ADC for lung cancer, and it's in HER2. We're seeing a lot of excitement in HER3 as well, but a very different paradigm here. And for that, I'll pass it over to uh, my colleague, Dr. Hassan Borgai, uh, Professor Chief of Thoracic Oncology at Fox Chase Cancer Center in Philadelphia. Hass. Thank you, Dr. Liu. Thank you, Dr. Garcino. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, so let's talk about HER3. So why should we be interested in HER3 at all? Obviously, part of the family of uh, EGFR, family of uh, receptors, we all know the significance of it. Um, HER3 is overexpressed in uh, about 80% of all non-small lung cancer, so it makes it an interesting target. Uh, the overexpression of this particular um, uh, protein gene is associated with metastatic progression, as you see on the slide, so it does play a role. I gotta tell you that the biology is not really all that well understood, uh, at least nothing close to what we have for the, some of the other um, uh, family members here. Um, and the uh, analysis of patients who've been treated with um, EGFR TKI at the time of uh, progression shows that HER3 alteration can actually be a uh, known resistant mechanism for at least some of these patients. So for those uh, reasons, targeting HER3 becomes um, important. Um, we know from uh, repeat biopsy studies that have been done, either in single institutions or even in large randomized trials, uh, that unfortunately the EGFR-TKIs don't work uh, continuously, and at the time of progression, patients can have a, uh, a variety uh, of resistant mechanisms exhibited. Um, and this is depicted on this uh, rather busy slide, as you see, um, uh, not only in board, but also in the bottom, if you concentrate on the pie charts that you see. It's divided in, uh, from the left-hand side. Uh, this is what happens if you have first line, um, uh, first generation, second generation targeted therapies moving on to second line osimertinib, and then on the far right-hand side, what happens after first line osimertinib. And again, you see a variety of different uh, resistant patterns emerging depending on the drugs used. Obviously, we use osimertinib nowadays as our front line, so that's what we have uh, most of our interest, but you see that both HER2 um, amplification, um, MED amplification, and others re, uh, uh, emerging as a potential um, resistant mechanisms uh, post-TKI. 
So, and also HER3 is one of them. So, um, we now have this antibody drug conjugate, uh, patrituumab deroxacan, um, which is uh, considered to be a novel drug. Uh, the structure is very similar to some of the other ADCs that you've been introduced you to. Uh, you notice that the payload here is very similar to the HER2 targeted ADC that we talked about. Uh, and this also has uh, a cleavable linker, as you see. So, the chemistry and the, and the, the molecule is very similar, except that the targeting moiety obviously goes after um, HER3. This ADC has also been investigated in um, uh, several different studies. This is uh, the schema for the phase one clinical trial that evaluated the activity of this particular ADC in patients with uh, non-small cell lung cancer with NGFR mutation. Uh, so patients, as you can see, the, the, the uh, eligibility criteria, everybody had progression on prior EGFR TKI. There were multiple cohorts evaluating various doses of this particular ADC followed by a dose expansion, which again is uh, uh, the way we develop most of these drugs, so you're familiar with the schema. And then uh, on the far right, you see that the 5.6 milligram per kilogram was chosen for the dose expansion. Um, and the baseline characteristics of the patients, again, everybody had prior TKI, a majority had received prior osimertinib, as you would expect from a sort of a US and Western Europe-centric type of a study. But 90% of these patients have received prior platinum and roughly 40% prior immunotherapy. So um, a pretty well-treated patient population or heavily pre-treated uh, with, a, with a median of uh, four lines of prior therapy. Again, another uh, uh, busy slide, but um, trying to convey several different messages. So first of all, the overall response rate of about 39%. It's pretty impressive for a patient population who's had all the uh, therapies that we reviewed. Median duration of response, I think, again, for a pre-treated patient population is respectable. We always want to see that to be higher um, because, you know, if you want to move this to yeah, earlier and earlier stages of the treatment, you want to have a little bit more confidence about the durability. And the median PFS, again, I would say is noticeable, is respectable. We want to see that more. The waterfall plot is a pretty standard waterfall plot, as, um, as um, we've seen from a variety of different uh, trials. But what you see uh, below all of that are all the, um, uh, first of all, EGFR activating mutations. So that's on the top line. And then other potential mutations and amplifications and alterations. And at the very bottom, all the non-EGFR uh, mutations that were detected in these. So why do we have all of this to sort of give you an idea about the range of activity of the drug, first of all, despite multiple different mutations, and also regardless of the, the activating mutation that you start with, you can appreciate that um, there are responses. Obviously, the, the sort of the crosses or the positive signs below are all the patients that have continued to have responses on this particular drug on particular um, study. Um, this is, again, the, the, the swimmer's plot um, trying to convey the durability of responses for those patients that actually have it. And about 32% of uh, patients as of the, the time of reporting of this, uh, patients had ongoing uh, treatment responses. Again, on the, on the far left uh, with the little circle around it, you see that these patients had prior OC, which we knew everybody did, and then divided by history of CNS or no CNS metastases, indicating that even um, patients with the history of CNS met, some of them have durable responses here. What about toxicity? Well, 
the, um, uh, the treatment-related adverse events are shown for uh, the, the 5.6 milligram dose, which is what was taken forward, but uh, the 81 patients that were treated that all of the doses were this, as also shown in the, in the uh, particular table that you see. ILD, again, has to be uh, highlighted, uh, and we highlight that because, not because we were not familiar with it as thoracic medical oncologists, we see ILD with pretty much all of the drugs that we use. Um, anything that we use in this setting can have an association with sort of a pneumonitis, but this is more of a ILD type of a picture. You have to be aware of it, as Dr. Liu was pointing, um, because the, 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 the emergence can be at any time, particularly for the HER2. So, we have to highlight that this is an important aspect of the side effect profile of these drugs uh, just so that people are aware and can monitor patients. You notice that there are some other side effects shown on the graph on the right-hand side, and if you um, look at them a little more carefully, these are very much uh, seem to be chemo-associated adverse events uh, with uh, myelosuppression and other issues that could happen. So uh, the, the HER3 um, uh, antibody drug conjugate has um, good, meaningful anti-tumor activity, 39% uh, response rate with a PFS of around eight months in a heavily pretreated patient population. And I would argue for a patient population for whom we don't really have a lot of good treatment options. You know, we can go to chemotherapy, but really beyond that, we don't really have good options. Again, keep in mind that immunotherapy really doesn't play a role in management of the EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, the discontinuation rate was, again, acceptable. ILD is an issue. And there's a, a pivotal tri trial, sorry, called Herthina uh, that's ongoing based on the results of the study, and we're hoping that in the subsequent meetings we can hear about them more. Uh, with that, I give the podium back to Dr. Garasino. Thank you. So um, I'm talking about uh, this other target, which is called the TROP2. Uh, TROP2, maybe we are not so familiar with TROP2, but TROP2 is a transmembrane glycoprotein which is highly expressed in nosmo cell lung cancer and not only in nosmo cell lung cancer but in many other solid tumors. And as you can see in the Kaplan-Meier curves on the right, TROP2 is associated to a poor prognosis of nosmo cell lung cancer. The identification of the TROP2 is with the immunohistochemistry, as you can see in the bottom of the slide, and this can represent a new target that we can have in advanced nosmo cell lung cancer. Again, we have at least two anti-TROP2 antibody drug conjugates. Sasituzumab govotican is one of them. And as you can see here, we have, the, again, the monoclonal antibody, uh, the humanized monoclonal antibody as, uh, the, uh, for, the, for the, uh, the monoclonal antibody part. Then we have a linker, and then we have a payload, which is very similar to irinotican, govotican or so the name can remember uh, uh, um, the irinotican. Uh, 
Um, there are uh, some preliminary results that were recently presented in, uh, of Govotican in uh, patients with metastatic normal cell lung cancer, and uh, the drug uh, in patients who were highly, highly pretreated and received, uh, in 59% of cases, received at least uh, three prior lines of therapy, demonstrated an objective response rate of 16.7% and a median follow-up of 9.5 months with a manageable safety profile in the phase one trial. Now, with this drug, there are ongoing at least two trials. The first trial is a phase three trial comparing sasituzumagovotican over docetaxel in the second line setting of nosmocellan cancer following uh, a platinum-based chemotherapy plus or minus uh, plus the anti-PD-1 and the anti-PDL-1. And there is a second trial which is called evoke 2 trial which is in the first line setting and sazituzumab govotican is associated to the immune checkpoint inhibitors and the plus or minus the chemotherapy in the first line setting based on the PDL1 expression. This is the first drug, but this is not the only one. This is uh, uh, that potomab deruxtican, and uh, you can see that there is one part, which is again a humanized uh, monoclonal antibody, anti-TROP2, which is an IgG1 um, um, immunoglobulin. Then there is a, a, link, a, a payload linker, and you can see that again here we have a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor uh, payload. There is, uh, uh, it, this drug is characterized by having a very high potency of the payload, and what we call DAR, which is the drug-to-antibody ratio, is about uh, 5. It has a tumor-selective cleavable linker, and uh, uh, for the majority of the antibody drug conjugated, there is also a bystander anti-tumor uh, effect. Um, moving to the first results, this was a pan-tumor trial. Also, patients uh, not just with nosmor cell lung cancer were included uh, in the trial. It was possible to include also patients with uh, triple negative breast cancer and also other tumor types. But uh, we have the results for patients uh, who had metastatic nosmor cell lung cancer. Of note, there was an unselection for TROP2 expression that was just a secondary endpoint of the trial, and patients had to have a measurable disease and stable and treated brain metastasis. Uh, Dato DXD was given uh, at the dose, you can see that it was in the nosmocell lung cancer cohort, there were three doses, four milligrams per kilogram, 50 patients, then was given at the dose of six milligrams per kilogram or at the dose of eight milligrams per kilogram. The primary endpoints of this trial were the, basically the safety and to reach the, uh, uh, the uh, maximum tolerated dose. The secondary endpoint were the efficacy and also the uh, PK. 
What was uh, important of uh, this trial is that uh, there was a group of patients with actionable uh, genomic alterations, and uh, we have the results uh, for patients who had uh, genomic alterations for about uh, 34 patients. And I think that, as I said in the beginning, I believe that this can represent really a very important unmet need for this population. And we will see in the future if the TROP2 will be better to the HER3, because maybe they are almost competing also in this setting. As you can see, the trial had an overall manageable safety profile and uh, there was uh, a new safety profile were observed, but uh, what you can see in the right-hand side, uh, there were uh, treatment-related adverse events uh, in more than 15% of the patients. The treatment adverse events uh, were very similar to what we observe uh, with the normal chemotherapy. So as you can see, there is uh, some uh, nausea, some alopecia, uh, there can be some uh, vomiting, but what it is uh, important, I think, for uh, this drug is that we have uh, in 50% of the patients uh, the stomatitis, and, uh, which is uh, uh, related uh, to this drug, and uh, in a group of patients, again, we observed the ILD. And the ILD, I think that is something that we have to learn how to manage, and then we will see the case in the second part of the discussion, because it's something that for us, I think that is still quite new, and we have to understand how to manage also this toxicity. Um, moving to the efficacy, you can see that the response rate was about 24% for 4 milligrams, 28% for 6 milligrams, and 24% for the 8 milligrams. And you can see that on the right, on the waterfall plot, that a large group of patients responded to the treatment and the dose that was considered the correct dose to move in the, um, in the next trial was considered the six milligrams, and you can see in the spider plot also below, it is quite similar, the response rate for all the three types of dosages, except for the toxicity that was higher with the eight milligrams per kilogram dose. And again, the median duration of response was about 10.5 months in the six milligrams per kilogram cohort. And this is the, what we will see. This is the specifically the cohort for patients who had the actionable alterations. On the bottom of the slides, you can see that there were ALK patients. They were EGFR-mutated patients who also relapsed, including patients who relapsed after ozimertinib. And you can see that almost the benefit is present almost everywhere, and it is present in EGFR mutant and also in ALK translocated patients. Um, 
Moving again to the summary, I think that the six milligram per kilogram has been selected for further development in the phase three trial. The response rate was 28% with a median duration of response of 10.5 months. But again, I just want to remember that this population was very highly pretreated, and so these results, I think that they can be considered considered uh, very uh, interesting. The safety profile was overall manageable, but we have to remember that the nausea, the stomatitis, and also the ILD uh, can be something that can be present uh, in, uh, when we will treat our patients uh, in the future, hopefully with these drugs. Um, this is the tropiong lan 2 trial. As you can see, this is a quite complex trial. The majority of the patients were treated in the first-line setting. As you can see, the patients were treated in, escal in escalation cohort and in an expansion cohort with a dosage of 4 milligrams and uh, 6 milligrams. And, but you can see on the right, that the, on the left, that they were also patients who were previously treated also with the chemotherapy and also with the chemotherapy combined to the chemo uh, combined with immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, um, going uh, through the uh, cohorts, uh, there are cohorts combining uh, the drug with the pembrolizumab alone in patients with PDL1 uh, more positive, and also combination of chemotherapy, immunotherapy with pembrolizumab, and also with DETO uh, DXD. The primary objective of this trial was the safety and the tolerability, and then there were also the secondary objective. The, the efficacy, the PK, and also clearly the antibody drug conjugates. The results that we have showed that there is, as expected, there is some toxicity, but the toxicity is similar to the toxicity that we had with the chemotherapy and uh, with the, some toxicity that was driven by the, uh, uh, the um, data of the XD. And in particular, again, you can see that the stomatitis is present and is something that we will have to uh, deal. In 6% of the patients, there was again the ILD. And if it is similar, like the uh, HER2 um, compound, the toxicity in general happens after two months from the uh, initial start of the treatment uh, and sometimes is totally asymptomatic and you can find it just uh, on the CT scan when you reevaluate the patient uh, for uh, the uh, treatment. Here you have the results for the anti-tumor activity. The anti-tumor activity in the cohort 1 and 2 and the cohort 3 and 6 according to the PDL1 status. And you can see that more or less the benefit goes across all the PDL1 status. And for some patients, there is a long duration of response. In particular, I just want to mention the results because the majority of the patients were treated in the first line. 
that uh, the overall response rate was 62% uh, for the combination of pembrolizumab and DATO-DXD, and it was 50% for the patients who were treated in uh, the combination with chemotherapy. But again, you can see that the number of patients are very low, so I think that the confidence intervals uh, for uh, this response rate can be uh, very, uh, uh, very uh, huge. So to conclude this part, I think that uh, uh, this is the first reported evidence of the combination of the TROP2 antibody drug conjugates combined with the checkpoint inhibitors and also with checkpoint inhibitors and chemotherapy and demonstrated a tolerable safety profile and supported the further investigation with the dose of 6 milligrams per kilogram of DATODX in the immunotherapy combination regimens and the trials are starting now. The stomatitis can be an issue. We know that also stomatitis grade 1, grade 2 for a long time for these patients can be a problem. And, uh, the, um, and again, uh, they were the most frequent uh, adverse uh, events. Um, the, uh, phase three, there is an ongoing uh, phase 3 trial which is called uh, Tropion uh, Lung 8 uh, uh, is evaluated uh, data DXD plus Pembro over Pembro alone uh, in the metastatic uh, space uh, with patients with PDL1 uh, uh, more than 50% and uh, we know also that uh, the benefit independently by this is going uh, across uh, all the PDL1 uh, uh, levels. So I will give the word again to uh, Professor Liu uh, to go to see the other uh, uh, final antibody drug conjugates. Thanks, Marina. So antibody drug conjugates, clearly this is going to be a relevant area in lung cancer, and we're just getting started. Sort of recap, we saw in HER2 mutant lung cancer, trastuzumab derex TCAN at 5.4 mg per kg. That's our approved drug. We saw for HER3 ADCs and EGFR mutant, we saw TROPE2, really across biomarker select. There are a couple others that we want to highlight very quickly, and one is tusimidumab reftancine, or TUSA. This is an antibody drug conjugate that targets CEA-CAM5. That's a cell surface protein that's highly expressed in lots of tumors. This was explored in a phase 1-2 study. They established the dose of this drug at 100 mg per meter squared every two weeks. And it was studied in multiple disease types in non-small cell, non-squamous histology, in small cell, in gastric, in colon cancer. Our focus here is on non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer. And what we've seen early on is the drug works. We do see clear activity in patients with both moderate and high expression of CEA CAM. But this is, again, a different biomarker. We're looking at protein expression and immunohistochemistry. And as we go forward, our characterization of non-small cell lung cancer will not just be sequencing. It won't just be genomics. It really will be protein expression. We're going to see more and more thorough characterization of non-small cell to further personalize treatments. Uh, this updated ASCO of this year looked at patients who were treated for more than a year uh, with tusimidumab, and we can see the drug can be tolerated for long periods of time. Most of these patients had fairly deep responses, and we see activity in both moderate and high CEA-CAM5 expression. There certainly are toxicities we have to watch. In this drug, we do see corneal toxicity, and that's something we have to monitor and proactively manage, but as this illustrates, there are patients that can stay on treatment 
treatment for well over a year of phase three trials ongoing to compare tusimidumab reftansine monotherapy in previously treated patients with uh, high CA CAM non-squamous non-small cell lung cancer. So we're looking at a protein biomarker. We see durable responses in the subset and quite deep responses. This will be another agent to look at in patients with CA-CAM5 expression. And another one we want to target is telisotuzumab vedotin or teliso-V. This is a drug that has breakthrough designation targeting MET. And we heard a lot about MET-exon 14 skip mutations today, and that's our approved biomarker. We heard a little bit of data today about MET amplification. This is MET immunohistochemistry. And I think you're getting a sense that we really need to be specific and granular with our biomarkers. We can't say MET positive anymore. We have to specify X14 amplification, or here, immunohistochemistry. But Telisavi was explored in multiple different tumor types. It was looked at in squamous lung cancer, in non-squamous EGFR mutant lung cancer with high or moderate um, CMET expression, and in non-squamous EGFR wild type. Now, in squamous and EGFR mutant, it did not show enough activity. We saw some responses, but not enough to move forward. The focus here is on the left side in the non-squamous EGFR wild type. And we're seeing that CMET high, a response rate of 53%, and in the uh, CMET intermediate, a response rate of 24%. So clear activity, a waterfall plot that's showing robust responses, and a swimmer's plot showing fairly durable responses, some of those going out past a year. So we can see clear activity, but again, this is cement protein expression. So two to watch out for, CACAM5 and MET as targets for emerging antibody drug conjugates, and I promise you the list will continue to grow. There are more in development uh, and more coming in the next calendar year. And so with that, I'll turn things back up to, to um, Marina to wrap things up. So if you agree, we can start to answer. I have really a lot of questions, so we can do uh, 10 minutes of question and then we can move to the case. Um, so I would start with the most pragmatic question here. The first is, uh, can prior chest and lung radiotherapy be associated with increased risk of ILD in patients receiving HER2 her targeted uh, ADC therapy? Uh, two people asked the same question, so this can be an important question. I don't know if you want to start. Yeah, so I think that um, while many patients with ILD did have prior radiation, it's important that that's not required for ILD. We can see that in patients that have never had radiation. There was some thought, is maybe this related to immunotherapy, like we see the TKIs, but that's also not necessarily the case. It can happen in any patients receiving these drugs at any time, so we have to constantly remain vigilant. Um, and so patients that have never had radiation, ILD still has to be on your radar. Has it been your experience, Haas? That's my understanding also. I think the question sort of says, what if somebody has had radiation, is that an increased risk? And you know, from the trials, we don't really know. But as you said, that risk is always there. So regardless of whether patients have had radiation or not, if you're using this agent, I think you have to be on the lookout for the ILD. Yeah, so there is another question that I think that can be important. Uh, do uh, these uh, ADCs show CNS activity in lung cancer? Um, I would probably say, well, we don't have any data necessarily. I I mean, from the mechanism of action alone, I wouldn't anticipate uh, that there would be necessarily CNS activity, uh, but that has not been examined in any of the clinical trials, so we have lack of data, um, but I wouldn't anticipate it. 
Yeah. We, we wouldn't expect it because it's a large molecule, but we also know the blood-brain barrier is disrupted in some cases. So I agree. We don't really know. Yeah. But if, if, if I had a patient starting an ADC, I wouldn't rely on an ADC to necessarily control that until we know more. Yeah, I agree. And in all the trials, all the patients in general, they are pretreated. They are asymptomatic and sometimes they are pretreated. So it's really difficult to understand if they work or not, uh, in the, also in the clinical trials. So there is another question that maybe is for Haas, as uh, what is the optimal treatment sequence for patients with EGFR mutations and where does uh, the HER2 antibody drug conjugates uh, uh, can go in the setting? Well, that's a really good question, right? Um, so it would depend on what the ultimate result is with the HER3 studies that are ongoing at this point. So um, what do we normally do at the time of progression if you don't have clinical trials? So we biopsy the patients. If there are alterations such as MED and others, then we try to treat those patients on separate cohorts, on separate studies, or with combinations that's relevant to the resistant mechanisms. In the absence of that, um, we go to standard chemotherapy. As I said, uh, there's no role for immunotherapy in this patient population. So so if this particular ADC shows clinical activity, uh, durability, and toxicity profile that we think um, is a reasonable alternative to, let's say, standard chemotherapy, then I think it can easily move into that second-line space. I don't think at this point I would say that there's anything that would replace, for instance, oxymartinib uh, for this patient population. Uh, but depending on the parameters that I just talked about, at least in my view, uh, the, the uh, particular ADC for particular subpopulation can be used immediately after uh, osimertinib or, uh, if needed, after chemotherapy. I don't know what you guys think about that. Absolutely the same. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's maybe a possibility, that, you know, depending on what these results show, you could consider combinations in the frontline therapy. Certainly not replacing OC, but adding to it. We know that if FLORA2 is a positive trial, we might see more chemo-TKI combinations. Could ADC plus TKI be an appropriate frontline strategy for a subset of, of patients, maybe? You know, but I mean, that would be an interesting idea, just that you have to manage all the expected adverse yeah. events. And again, uh, all of these are questions that hopefully will be answered in subsequent trials. Yeah, there is another tricky question. How do you treat uh, if uh, HER2 mutation is detected in pdl one high as well? Well, it's a little controversial, the role of immunotherapy in HER2-mutant lung cancer. And we know that for EGFR and ALK, as Haas said, we really don't think of those as immune-responsive tumors. HER2 is one that does not respond as well to immunotherapy. We know that from Julian Mazieres' immunotarget study. Um, so outcomes with IO are sort of less uh, robust. Mm -hmm. I would say that the standard of care today, my board answer is still probably IO or chemo-IO for HER2. In my own practice, I would probably not give IO alone because these are primarily non-smokers. Um, and so today, uh, while trastuzumab deristecan is an FDA-approved agent for hergemian lung cancer, it's not approved as a first-line therapy. So the PDL one shouldn't necessarily come into play. And we would still use chemotherapy-based treatment on the front line. So to answer the question, I really don't think that, that it comes into play. Yeah, I, I agree. In general, this is very enriched also in the Navel smoker that we know that they do not respond very well to the immunotherapy as well. So there is a double uh, reason. So here I believe that there is a question that maybe can be for me. Why was docetaxel the comparator arm uh, 
in uh, EVOC 1, which is the one with Sassituzum agovotican and not Docetaxel and Ramosirumab. Uh, clearly, I'm not uh, part of the company, but I believe that uh, uh, the reason is that the Docetaxel and Ramosirumab uh, is not used in all the patients as a second line, although we have the trial showing that there is a benefit, although the benefit is not so high. So in my opinion, uh, I think that it's still reasonable not to use the docetaxel and ramosirumab as a control arm. In Europe, we don't use so much the ramosirumab. I don't know what's your opinion. No, I would say when, you, when you're designing a global study, you have to keep all of that in mind. And as you said, the ramosirumab is not uh, used in Europe and most parts of the world, really. Um, so it is reasonable to have docetaxel as a control arm, again, as uh, the Garcino suggested just because the limited clinical activity. So I'm okay with those attacks all as a, as a, as a comparator for the global study. Yeah, there are uh, too few other questions, and then we move to the clinical case, and so we can uh, uh, finish. So, is ILD a class effect? Then, any predisposing factors, the key diagnostic tests, and treatment? I think it is somewhat of a class effect, but we see the incidence of ILD really varies pretty significantly. I think it has more to do with all the details of an ADC. You know, while we think of PD-1 and PD-L1 agents, while there are differences in trials, results, indications, we think they're pretty interchangeable. That's absolutely not the case with ADCs. We have very different linkers, uh, cleavable, different circumstances under which they're cleaved. You have different payloads, different drug antibody ratios. I think it's all these details that ultimately factor into the risk of ILD. So we do see them, I think, across the board with most of the drugs we mm-hmm. use, uh, but uh, they're very different from drug to drug. And um, I don't know if that's your opinion as well, Haas. No, I agree with you. I think that's, a, that's exactly what I would have thought about it, yeah. Yeah, then there is a question, I think, for me. How do you explain that the TROP2 targeted therapy in working in patients with and without genomic alterations? I think that the reason is that the TROP2 is widely expressed uh, not just in patients with genomic alterations, but also in patients uh, also wild type. And so I think that it represents a target by itself uh, and, uh, in, uh, uh, and not just something re- specifically uh, related to the genomic uh, alterations. There is a final question that I think is important, but I don't have the question, I don't have the answer, so I ask you, uh, to you both, uh, to what extent does use of the steroids interfere with the efficacy of trastuzumab deruxtican? Well, I, don't, I wouldn't expect it to have much impact on, on efficacy. It's not like an immunotherapy agent where you really want to avoid suppressing your lymphocytes. I don't know that that's necessary for your TDXD response. So uh, I would be very comfortable using steroids as needed. I agree. I think think of these as targeted chemotherapy. With chemotherapy, we don't expect the blunting of the cytotoxic activity of chemo with steroids. So uh, I don't think there's going to be quite as much of an issue with that or concern. Uh, it's quite a different mechanism than... Uh, a checkpoint inhibitor-induced pneumonitis, so I would not be worried about that. Yeah. Okay, so there are other questions, but there are so many that I tried just to uh, pick those that, in my opinion, could be more interesting. And we can move to the... So I apologize to all the other people, but we can talk uh, again later. 
And we can move to the clinical case, and uh, maybe if we have other minutes, we can go back to, to the questions. So this is the case of a female, never smoker, 68 years old, diagnosed with nosmosal lung cancer in March 2021. The liquid biopsy showed her two mutations. PDL1 expression was 30%, and the patient was treated with carboplatin, pemetrexid, pembrolizumab successfully from March 2021 through May 2021, followed by pemetrexid and pembrolizumab until May 2022 returns uh, to the clinic with the PET scan showing uh, supraclavicular um, uh, left hilar lymphoadenopathy and the left, uh, left adrenal uh, metastasis. And the MRI showed also uh, three asymptomatic uh, brain metastasis. Uh, moving to this, this is the first question from uh, uh, the um, audience, which is what treatment would you recommend for this patient next? So her two mutations uh, treated with chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and uh, relapsed uh, um, quite uh, in, the, in the notes and also in the brain. So which is your favorite choice uh, as a second line? Yeah, it is trastuzumab. Of Derek's that's yeah, the right yeah. answer for it. Yeah, too. but you know, I think that also clearly is trastuzumab deruxtecan, but based on the results that we saw, potentially also other antibody drug conjugates can work uh, also in this setting, but maybe not as a first uh, choice. Hoss, um, do you want to add something? No, I think I agree. I mean, this is uh, the choice that I would have okay. uh, uh, chosen for the patient that we're questioning, okay. especially now that the drug is available as an FDA-approved. Yeah, and there is maybe we can associate another question from the floor that is, uh, do you use, the patient was diagnosed with HER2 mutations with the liquid biopsy. Do you use the liquid biopsy uh, any time at diagnosis? Or uh, uh, the question was, uh, would you do liquid biopsy and tissue NGS first before a treatment decision also in a second line? So we do all of our molecular testing up front. Um, we do both tissue and blood-based assays. For, um, our goal is to cover 100% of patients. I'd, I'd be lying if, the, if I tell you that we completely succeed in everybody, but uh, a blood-based assay can be done easily on everybody, so we do that. At the time of progression, if um, I have someone with a known driver mutation positive disease following targeted therapy with TKIs and other oral agents, I would definitely do the rebiopsy, look for potential resistant mechanisms because that can help me. For patients who do not necessarily have driver mutations, I'm not routinely doing a repeat biopsy and resequencing. Uh, simply because I don't think there's a lot of utility at this point in, in terms of choosing what the next therapy is going to be. Yeah. Thank you. So you decided to start the treatment with trastuzumab deruxtecan. Um, what starting dose would you select? 6.4, 5.3, um, uh, 5, 5.4, 4.4, or you're not sure? 92% voted for 5.4, which is correct. So I think that 6.4 in the Destiny 2 was the dose that was considered 
um, not correct. So prior to FDA approval, patients received Trastuzumab Duroxtican at 6.4, had a good response. About two months later, she feels well with no respiratory symptoms, but imaging is suspicious for ILD. So here we have another question. What would you do next? Nothing. Continue treatment with the same dose. Continue treatment with the same dose and get a pulmonary consultation. Hold treatment and observe. Is symptoms resolve, but the patient was asymptomatic to grade zero, consider restarting the therapy, hold the treatment, start the steroids and get a pulmonary consultation. If symptoms are resolved to grade one, consider restarting the therapy or I'm not sure. Right. So I think this table outlines our, our recommendations here. And for someone that's asymptomatic with ILD, that would be a grade one uh, pneumonitis and we want to hold treatment. We certainly don't want to push forward with treatment, but if they do resolve, meaning the, the ILD disappears radiographically, uh, then we can restart treatment at that point, either at the same dose if it resolves quickly, or at a lower dose if it takes longer, and there's a table at the bottom that can help. In someone that is symptomatic, newly hypoxic in clinic, short of breath, that's the case where you want to permanently discontinue, start steroids, often admit those patients to watch closely. But for someone that's asymptomatic, uh, we don't necessarily need to start steroids. We can just watch. Yeah. Okay. Are there any questions for this topic? Otherwise, I think that we are finishing in perfect time. And uh, I would like to thank uh, again uh, uh, Peerview, AstraZeneca, Daichi for the uh, support, and in particular uh, Stephen Liu and Hosbor Gay for joining uh, this panel. Thank you for joining us. I know that it's very late, and thank you for standing with us. This activity is certified by PVI. Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash FVE 860. This activity is supported through independent educational grants from AstraZeneca and Daiichi Sankyo Incorporated.